This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. I've come for two reasons, and thank you, Pastor Jim, for letting me come. I've wanted to do this since we retired. Just to come back and say thank you personally. Um, you see, it was 1971. How many of you were born after 1971? <laughs> First time I ever came to Salt Lake. And uh, I went by the building this morning. It was, we say Valley, but before Valley was Kearns. It's a, that's where this place started. It, if you go on 5400 South, go to the railroad track, going west, turn right, and go down about a block or so, there's a little building on the left that's now a children's center. That was Kern's Assembly. The first night I came there, the church voted. It was a Sunday night, I'll never forget it. They voted to buy this property that was uh, just an open field with some orchard trees on it or some apple trees. Had I known, and they voted to buy it, had I known what I was getting into, I would never have come back. <laughs> the work and the sweat that people put in to get to where you are now. And then uh, a few years later in 75, they started building this building and and... I'm afraid I'm going to miss some people that were part of it. I saw Mavis Hartwell, her, her, she was here, and Warren Stanton, you know, um, they were teenagers, uh, Warren was. We, we didn't know what we were doing. We poured terrazzo in that foyer, and these young people, the young people, spent hours, weekends, grinding it down smooth. We, had we been professionals, we wouldn't have had to grind so much, but, and, uh, that old cross was set on a February snowy morning. One of our men, Jim Gallegos, was a welder, and he was up there in the snow, and, and it was a miserable day welding that cross on there. So there's some history here. And, and then in uh, seven, somewhere in the mid-'70s, young people decided they wanted to reach out to southern Utah and... Uh, they had some evangelistic campaigns down there, and from that, uh, we would leave the Sunday morning service and go down to have a service Sunday night in St. George, and in 78, went there and pastored that, and, and this church and others in Utah have been a great part of what we're doing, and I just wanted to say thank you. And then when we went overseas, Every, every month, this church sent $600 to our account so we could stay overseas. So may I say thank you for helping us doing what we have done. All right? Yeah, you owe yourselves a hand. Praise God. The second reason I have come is to challenge you. Now... I want to thank you. You see, uh, I've gotten this from our district, and thank you last year to Life Church for almost $400,000 that you gave to missions, not only at home, I think half stayed about here and half went overseas. Thank you for that. Thank you, young people, for 
the $18,000 that you gave to Speed the Light. Hey, if you want to hear some Speed the Light stories, I, I have a few. Uh, using that Speed the Light pickup everywhere I went and hardly ever missed a, a service and scheduled meeting because we had re reliable transportation to um, Light for the Lost and Women's Ministries, and it goes on and on. And I, so I can see by $400,000 that many of you have sacrificed, and I thank you. And I thank you from every missionary that you have given of yourselves. But I also know that we can do more. I know that uh, there's always something to do. I, I've been intrigued by a man in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Judges. I don't know if you've ever heard a story on um, Micah. You find his, his story in Judges 16, or 17 and 18, sorry, and it kind of goes like this. I'm going to give you a Reader's Digest version of this story. Um, and I want you to read it when you get home. He's, he's somebody that we don't want to follow his example, and yet I meet a lot of Micahs in our churches, not only in Africa, but in America. What happened was, um, his, his mother had saved up a lot of money, 1,100 pieces of silver. And for whatever reason, Micah decides to take it without telling his mother. And so she puts a curse on the guy. Now, I don't know if you've ever been robbed. My wife and I have been robbed many times. And the first thing you do is say, God, just get him. God, don't let him enjoy what he take from me. Just let it rotten. You ever put a curse on anybody? <laughs> well, this is what she did. She kind of, and, and in us Americans, you know, we, we don't really put a lot of weight on curses, but in boy in Africa, if you say something negative, they'll, I, I, in my innocence sometimes, I'd say something kind of negative and they'd close their ears and say, oh, please, please don't talk like that because they really believe it's going to happen. So when she heard this, he heard this curse that mama put on, on the guy that took the money, he, he got scared and he said, oh, I took the money. And so she says, well, blessed be you of the Lord. Now, you're going to find that these, this uh, mother, son, and grandson had the right lingo. They had a sincere heart. They talked about God. But boy, they broke every commandment in the book. They were in the book of Judges. And... Uh, so she said, well, I have dedicated, I dedicated this money you took to God. And so she was so happy when she got those 1,100 pieces of silver back. What did she do? She takes 200 of those pieces of silver and she makes a graven image. And I'm thinking, dumb. I said, you dedicated this money to God and you make a graven image? But she said, blessed be God, you know, my son of the Lord. I've dedicated this money to God. And I thought, man. So he still has 900 pieces of silver left. So what does he do? He makes his graven image, a, a molten image, and 
He actually makes kind of a house church. You see, we're in the book of Judges. Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. And we're living in a day where people say, I don't have to go to church. I can worship here in my own, in my own house and, you know, do my own thing. You can send off for 10 bucks and be ordained minister. You know, anything goes today. Hello, you out there? I'll be gone tomorrow. If I ruffle your feathers, Pastor Jim will smoothen them out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, he makes this kind of this house church, and he puts these idols in his house church, and he, he consecrates his son as a priest. Another commandment he broke, he was from Ephraim. The tribe of Ephraim had no right to go into the temple. They had no right to be part of this sacrifice. That was part of the Levite job. But he makes it, you know, anybody can be a preacher nowadays. And that's what he did. And so then after that happened, the Levite comes along because people now weren't supporting the church of uh, the, the main work and weren't paying their tithes and offerings. So the Levites had no job. And so he leaves Bethlehem of Judah and he goes up and he passes by Micah's house and Micah invites him in and gets excited. And he said, now, he said, I'll make you the priest. So he pays him. He has 900 pieces of silver left. And he pays him 10 pieces a year. The guy that could really help him better than anybody else, he takes 10 pieces of his silver and he said, I'll give you 10, 10 a year if you be my priest. And I said, you dummy. You just spent 200 pieces on your idol, but you only had 10 for the Levite? Plus boarding room? Now, I've met a lot of people in my 70-some years that they'll come, to, they'll come and when the offering goes by, they say, I don't have any money but they'll go out and spend 10 times as much for what they really want. Well, I, if I don't get any amens, it's okay. I'm going to do my thing and you, you know. Africa, the same thing. They, we're too poor. We can't pay our tithes. Well, they have an excuse. I went overseas. See, I was, went from home missions pastor to, to Africa. I thought I was poor because I compared myself with other Americans. When I gave, went over there, I realized I'm filthy rich. The fact that I drove my car to the, and parked it right out here means I'm filthy rich. Most people in Africa don't have a car. If you have a refrigerator, you're rich, okay? And if you have a, a fat wife in Africa, you're really rich. They, they love that. But if you're, if, you're skin, if you're fatter than your wife, you're in trouble because you don't love her. You don't feed her enough. Well, that's just, a, I just threw that in there. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, we get so worried about little things. You know, I think God just chuckles. They, we, we have short we have long hair and we cut it off because we, you know, we don't like long hair. They have short hair and they, they spend big bucks to make false hair. They have dark skin and they make all kinds of products to lighten their skin. We have light skin and we put product on to darken. And I think God's up there said, what did I create here? 
<laughs> they're, they're skinny and want to be fat, and we're fat and want to be skinny. Well, you figure it out. So, do you get the picture? This guy here had the right talk, sincere, but he was all mixed up. He, had, he's, he didn't have right priorities. And so, I want to challenge you today. I want you to go home and figure out this last month how much have you spent on yourself. I'm not talking about room and board and the necessities of life. How much have you spent on yourself for the things you like compared to what you put in the offering? You see, in, when we do what's right on our own eyes, we say, well, you know, I'll do anything I want. God will bless me. That was their attitude here. I know people that, you know, when a missionary comes or there's a special need, oh, I'll give them 10 bucks, and they'll go out and spend 40 bucks on the afternoon meal. There's nothing wrong with spending 40 bucks on the afternoon meal if God got 40 bucks. What do you, what, you know, and we're, we're, I've heard the, you know, we've had some slow times in America. Man, our hotels are full, our roads are full, or lakes are full, or, you know, stadiums are full. I mean, we've got money, church. And if we all put the right priorities, God, it's no telling what we can do. It's no telling what we can do. Now, people have already sacrificed. You couldn't get $400,000 this last year without somebody sacrificing. But if you haven't got on board yet, I challenge you today. I'm going to read some of the requests that I get. Just, and and, and I, I wonder what Pastor Ayer's pile of requests is from missionaries and needs around the world. Can I name a few? These are just the last three months I have gotten myself because I'm still on the, on the list. And notice, here's, here's from a missionary friend, Nate Will, uh, Williams in Japan. He said, we are trying to equip our leaders. You see, one of the, one of the things and that we, we are missing is oh, both Fox and CNN and all the news, they don't tell us about what God is doing. But there's, God is at work and the church is growing all around the world. And there are needs everywhere. But when, and one of the main need, one of the great needs is training leaders. And we're going to show you that as I go through this list. And one of our forces is because we, we train pastors. But I mean, there are so many places we don't have trained workers. They're trying to translate Christian service books and Christian life because people get saved and now there's not Christian literature in their hand. I remember going to Senegal, and it's a, uh, the official language is French, but there was very little Christian evangelical literature in French. It was, a lot of it was Catholicism because that's what France was. And so you'd get a new convert, what do you hand them? How do you train them? I was shocked, and if you got a book from France, it was always... 10 times the price of what we could buy English books. 
or you get a new convert. I worked a lot in the central part of Senegal, and their, their, their language is so rare. They had no Bible in their language. And when you try to train them, how do you train them? There's no, no Christian literature in their language. See, these are the challenges. He said, we're trying to translate in Japanese, but we need $11,000. Here's another one from uh, our headquarters in April. You know, there are cyclones and, and earthquakes in, in um, Vanuatu and in Nepal. We get a letter saying, can you help us with rebuilding the churches and, and aid that goes to the people that lost their homes? This comes from our headquarters. Uh, it, it just goes on and on. Uh, Convoy of Hope goes in. Here's one I got just a few days ago. You see, um, one, of, one of the reasons I left the field is because we said we were in crisis back, back in 2008. And so churches started saying, we've got to cut figure out how to cut some of our emissions budget. And because, you know, us older guys, we said, well, we, we would like to invest in newer guys. So they started cutting money from us older guys and putting more money in the new guys because they had to cut their budget. Thank God this church didn't do it. So now they're saying we need a sender, senior senders fund to keep our senior missionaries on the field. Here's one from Chad. There are 73 unreached people groups in Chad. It's one of the poorest nations. I was there a year ago. They asked me to go and uh, help build a building or put up a tabernacle for the Bible school. When I got there, I was shocked because the Bible school students lived in a mud hut, straw roof, no water, running water, and no electricity. Now, we talk about college debt in America. If you are worried about college debt, let's, I'll, I'll take you to Chad and we'll do our Bible school there. You won't have debt when you come out. Okay? So we put a building up and, uh, to, to help these Bible schools. They send me a picture of the finished product. And, you know, Burkina Faso has sending missionaries missionary pastors all over West Africa. And they send about 15 of these Burkina Faso young couples. Rather than training them in Burkina Faso, they're sending them to Chad because Chad has been unreached. And so they're training these Burkina Faso missionaries plus some Chadian young people to train in their Bible school. And they said, if we could have $19,000 we could help train these guys because of the tuition. And so it's just not enough pastors. Here's the Liberia. I was there a few years ago. Sierra Leone and Liberia had been in civil war for many years. They asked me to go back and see if we could save some of the Bible school buildings, both in Sierra Leone and in, in uh, Liberia when the rebels who were trying to get rid of their government uh, started fighting against the government, they took over our Bible schools. That was their headquarters. And so when uh, the Civil War ended, the rebels, they, well, they didn't have anything, so they just took the, anything they could off of our Bible schools, the roof, the windows, anything they could sell. And we back, so when I went there, the, all we had were the walls and sometimes the foundations, and we had to start over. These are the realities we face. 
And yet, in spite of all of that, notice, Liberia says, we want to start 800 churches in the next, by the year 2020, in four years. They've already started two of the, 200 of the 800. Wow! You see, but train pastors. These are some of the needs. And if Pastor Ayers brought all the needs he got, all the call, phone calls he's got, we would be shocked at the needs. Church, you see, when God saved me and he saved us, he didn't just save us so that we could come to this church and say, praise God. Now, I like worship, but he saved us to be a blessing. Hallelujah. He saved us to get involved in this thing called the harvest. And he's calling every one of us to do our part. And if any time we need to set our priorities right, it's today. It's today. See, if we fast forward, chapter 7, 18 of Judges, the Danites didn't want to fight the Amorites in their territory, so they got tired of the battle and said, we're going to go look for a better way, an easy way. So they went through on their way to the north and stopped by Micah's house. And again, you see, if you don't have right priorities and you invest, put all your money in your pleasures and your, your hobbies and all of that, you'll lose it all. Because that's what happened to Micah at the end. The Danites came through. They took his idol. They took his Levite. They took everything he had. And he was left empty-handed. That's the end result of people. Don't, don't, don't invest in the kingdom. And I challenge you today, how much more can we do this next year if all of us get involved in this thing called the harvest? Praise God. It's one of the greatest privileges God has ever laid on our heart. And, and I, I challenge you, if you haven't, God involved in giving to the work of God. Do it. Do it. See, a lot of these people that invested in this building aren't here today. They're up in glory. What are you going to leave behind you? 45 years from now, if Jesus tarries, are you going to leave it better than what you found it? Is somebody going to enjoy the blessings of your giving? See? That's what we have to look. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. We're kingdom people. Praise God. Let's get involved in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Wherever, we're even in Africa, you know, they'd say, well, we can't do it. But when they got involved, when they got involved, God helped them. God helped them. I... A year ago Christmas, or a year ago Easter, I was standing in the church in Dakar, Senegal. I had the privilege to go back. And I went preached in the church. It was Easter Sunday. And uh, it had started on a little storefront. And when I say storefront, you have one of those roll-up doors, and during the service, everybody walks by the sidewalk. They see you, and, you know, and they started, and then they grew a little bit, and Finally, that we had a old mission house that nobody was, we weren't using fully. And so they said, can we go there and use the living room? And make a long story short, we went in, they, they started using that and then they grew. 
Then they said, can we knock one of the walls out? And we let them knock the wall out. And finally, we let them have the building. They knocked every wall out they could. And they came, one day one of the pastors came to me and he said, uh, here's, here's this wonderful plan I want you to look at. We've drawn up, we want to build this church. And, you know, there, the property isn't even as big as this sanctuary because land is so expensive in Senegal. And uh, you don't need parking. So they had it designed wall to wall. And I said, well, how are you going to pay for it? He said, well, the American mission is going to help us and the Canadian mission is going to help us. And I said, no, we've already helped you all we can. We, we have so many other needs. Usually we help with one or you know, either property or the building, but you got both. Well, he said, but we, we, we just can't, we, we don't have any money. All my people, most of my people are students, and they were. A lot of people were coming in from different countries of, of Africa. Senegal was stable, and the university was one of the better ones. So a lot of people came in, and 80% of his congregation were, I believe, students, young people. He said, we don't have money. And I said, but have you asked them to give? Oh, it's no use. They don't have money. I said, I'm not going to do anything until you ask your people to give. And then we, I said, instead of tearing down this whole building and building this whole big unit, let's do it in phases. And for three years, we argued back and forth. I helped him design a church in phases. And he finally said, okay, we'll do that, but we don't have money. And I said, ask your people. Just do one part, and then we'll go from there. Well, finally one day he did. And they started building, filling up. There was a little courtyard in the back of the house. They filled that out. And then about a year or so later, he asked me to come. He said, I want you to come preach. Went there and they had finished that section and knocked the wall out and added more space to the sanctuary. And I shouted with them. It was a great day. And I said, where'd you get the money? Oh, God's been good to us. You know, we hadn't helped them. That was, that was back in 2009. I went back last year. And when I walked in, there was a four-story building. It was tiled inside and out. I mean, the outside was ceramic tile. Four stories. Had a balcony. The place was, we had more people in the here of the day. We had a four-hour service. They baptized, had baptized about some 20-some people. And then, then after the service, I said, tell me, how'd you get there? And then the pastor started telling me stories how people started giving. He said students would go back to their country and find a job and send their first uh, month's paycheck back. Just one miracle after another. It was, I bet it was a half a million dollars they put into that building, those poor people that didn't have any money. And I said, man, if they can do it, I can do it. Because I have left over when I give. So I challenge you today, get involved in the kingdom. We have so much to do. There's so many needs. I'm not asking anything for you today. I didn't come to ask for money for myself. But the kingdom needs money. And the more you give, the more missionaries we can send out. It takes some of our missionaries a year. You see, it would be nice just to, you know, uh, go 
we talk about refugees, you know, status and all that. Before I can go to a country, any missionary, I have to have a letter signed by our headquarters saying, and it has, it's in our documents, this missionary, Vern Fink and his wife, will not seek employment in Senegal or any country they're going. They are supported. We, we cannot go there to take the job of somebody else, so we have to have a letter saying we will be fully supported. So there's, there's just some of the needs. My son works for MATA. He, he's training uh, missionary pilots. And he called me the other day and said, if you can find any money anywhere, help us. We're, we're, you see, if you go to a regular flight school, it's about $100,000. And he said, we're trying, I'm, because he gets a, medi, a, a medical, he got a medical discharge and some help from the Army due to his injuries. He volunteers his time, and they're training missionary pilots to go overseas and places. He just got back from Alaska where in the summer you can't, there's no road. So they, they take several pilots into Alaska to villages and flying, flying from their village to youth camp and kids camp. They only, so many of them, only exposure they get. He just got back from there. So everywhere you go, there's a need. Will you be a part of it? If you've already been, thank you. If you haven't been, I challenge you today. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.